All right? You guys ready to get into God's Word? Me too. Me too. I'm excited. I'm always excited to open, open the Holy Scriptures with you. Romans chapter 8. Well, I'm just going to start the reading in verse 28 for context, so let your eyes just move one verse up, and we'll read this inspired writing. And it says in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is part two. As most of you know, this is part two of a message I titled, The Unbreakable Chain of Redemption. The Unbreakable Chain of Redemption. Now, why that title for this text? Well, as I begin to answer that question, I want to begin with first a little bit of review because I want to make sure that all of you understand the flow or progression of Paul's words here, of what he's trying to communicate. So I'm going to do that for you right now. In verse 28 of chapter 8, Paul promised his Christian readers, and we just read it, that for them all things work together for good. And based on the context all things most certainly includes and is no doubt primarily about what Paul referred to in verse 18. That is, the sufferings of this present time. Or things like the pains and hurts and troubles we experience as a result of living in a broken world that is filled with broken or fallen people. And we're part of those people. So then you could say this, that all things or even sufferings work together for good. That is, for those who are called according to God's purpose, which is a promise, beloved, that can give you hope, can give you hope in the midst of your difficult circumstances. Someone said it is a promise, and I've, this is all review, that has been likened to a pillow on which Christians can rest their weary heads. Hey, brothers and sisters, are you ever weary? Yeah. Me too. This is the kind of passage that can help you with that weariness. Is he with me so far? Okay. Then in verses 29 and 30, Paul explains further what he meant at the end of verse 28, by God's purpose, okay? The purpose according to which he has called us and is working everything together for our good. And as Paul spells out that purpose for us, we discover two things. First, this is all review, we find out what the good is that Paul refers to in verse 28. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what? Do you remember? What is the good that God is working all things together for? He's working together for us. What is that good? This is always scary, Thomas, when you do things like this. Huh? 
All right, I think someone might have said it, but let me remind you. Okay, that's yes. It is the good or benefit. This is why we do review. This is why we go back over things. It's important. I want you guys to have that. I want you to just know that because it's really critical that you get it. Otherwise, you might think the good is just some general idea. He's just going to work everything together for good, and you might define good how you want to define good. Don't do that. Define good as Paul is defining the good here, and that good, we learn in verse 29, is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or the likeness of Jesus Christ. Okay? Which makes sense because... God can even use our sufferings to do that. In fact, he does do that. And second, we learn the basis or foundation in 28 and 29 for the promise found in verse 28, the promise being that God uses all things to work together for our good. And what is that foundation for the promise? What is it? It is, here we go, the unbreakable chain of redemption. That's what it is. Now, let me explain it to you. I'm going to put it all together. In verses 29 and 30, Paul lays out for us very clearly God's good and saving purpose or the unbreakable chain of redemption by connecting together five very significant verbs. Five verbs. And those verbs, in case you missed them, are foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. According to the text, all of these actions are fulfilled by God, by God. He is the one doing them. And according to his saving purpose, these five incredible things God does concerning our redemption or salvation have been likened to or compared by some to links in an unbreakable chain. Okay, that's where I got the title from. Why? Because in the text, these verbs are inextricably linked to one another and form a chain or a a series of events, five events to be uh, exact, that remain permanently joined together according to God's sovereign purpose. It is important to note that there are, listen, no breaks in the chain. There are no breaks in the chain. This, maybe you think that's uh, very simplistic, but it's just so important. These things are so important for you to understand. So I'm going to go even further. I'm going to illustrate it. I have six ladies that have volunteered to come up here. So do that now. They're going to do a little dancing and singing for us. And Okay, so yeah, so why don't, yeah, you can line up right here and about this far apart. You're messing with me, huh? All right, go over here. Yeah, I need one. All right, good, sweetie. My sweet daughter, you can step out of the chain for a second, okay? You're going to be the, you're going to be the Christian, Okay. Yeah, sorry, ladies. But listen, you, you guys are awesome. You represent the five verbs, okay? So here we go, right? Here are the five links of the chain. And the reason I asked for ladies to do this is because now I'm going to ask you to hold hands. I knew the guys wouldn't do this. So go ahead and hold hands, okay? 
So this is, what's the first link in the chain? Second link. Third. Fourth. Fifth. They are linked together. And this is the unbreakable chain of our redemption. This is what God has done for us who are his children. And this is a little confusing, or it can be a little uh, mysterious here, this first, first chain. I'll talk about that in a second. But here is the child of God. The child of God is foreknown by God. Because the child of God is foreknown by God, she is predestined by God. All who are foreknown are predestined by God. What? To be conformed to the image of God's Son. All those who are predestined, this child of God, are called. There's no breaks in the chain, beloved. What? Here, Here, let go, let go, let go. The child of God is not called and then, or I'm sorry, predestined, and then, oops, oops, she fell through, she fell through, she never got called. This is very important. There's no breaks in the chain. Come back here, sweetie. Thank you. All right, link them back up. Unbreakable chain. The one who is foreknown, predestined, is, is called by God. Every single one of them. The one who is called is then justified. Every single one of them. And the one who is justified, is glorified. No breaks in the chain. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you, sweetie. I, I can't explain to you how important that is to get. Hopefully, you'll understand it more and more as we look at this. So I, I already went over the first link in the chain. In fact, I took a whole sermon to do it because it's important where you understand what's going on and how God begins this incredible chain. And if you didn't hear that sermon, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to please go back and listen to it. It's just part one of this message. It's part one. I'm not going to repeat everything that we covered. But the bottom line is this. Those whom God foreknew, those whom God foreknew are not, as some Christians say, and some Christians say this and with the deepest respect, I, I disagree completely with them. Those who God foreknew are not those who God saw ahead of time would believe. That's not what foreknew means there. But rather, they are those individuals who God, according to his great mercy and love, according to the riches of his grace, according to the purpose of his will, set his affections on, his saving affections, and selected in advance or chose to be saved before the world was ever created. In order that they would ultimately be conformed to the image of his son, or be glorified all to the praise of his glorious grace. 
If that's confusing to you, beloved, or you have some questions about that, I'm going to ask you to go back, please, and listen to part one of the message we did last week. A few of you came up and and told me you found that to be helpful, and I'm glad it was. That's I strive for that. I pour my heart out every week into making sure or hoping it will be helpful. Also, here's a resource for you to consider. This book is called Chosen by God. Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul. I would recommend this resource to you. This is a, These are some things that you should wrestle with. You should see what the Scriptures say concerning what God has done for us in regard to salvation. Chosen by God. So now listen. This is how God's saving purpose, I'm bringing everything back together now, this is how God's saving purpose expressed in verses 29 and 30, so what I just showed you, that unbreakable chain of redemption, this is how it serves as the foundation of Paul's promise in verse 28 that all things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is how. Paul can say with confidence that all things are working together for the Christian's good or conformity to the likeness of Christ because the Christian is the one who has been called according to God's purpose, and it is God's purpose to fully make those he foreknew like his son which will be accomplished just as he planned it. They will be glorified. They will be. And nothing will frustrate or prevent his plan. In fact, according to God's purpose, God even subjugates or forces every circumstance in this life, even the bad ones, to contribute to the Christian's ultimate good, conformity to the likeness of Christ. Listen, the Christian's destiny or ultimate glory is assured, is assured not because it lies with them or in their ability to reach it. No. Can you imagine? Wes just talked about it this morning. We have a hard time finishing anything, especially when it comes to spiritual endeavors. Can you imagine if God left it up to us to reach our destiny? Oh, yeah, thank God. Thank God he didn't. It is assured because it lies in the hands of the sovereign God who chose them. For this great salvation and carefully planned it out before the world was ever made. That's mind boggling. Not a one whom God foreknew will fail to achieve or reach the destiny God has determined for them. That's what Paul is teaching. And this wasn't supposed to be a a point of of a lot of upsetness or contention or debate, because there's been a lot of debate over these passages or argument. Paul never wrote it with that in mind. This was supposed to be a comfort to the believers. That's why he wrote it. Beloved, as Christians, our glorious salvation is entirely secure because God has secured it. So the true believer can rest in the fact that he 
who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Now, that was all review. And just to make sure we understand the flow here, picking up where we left off a few weeks ago, boy, we got some good stuff here right ahead of us. We're going to continue to look at those other links in the chain of our redemption so that we might fully rest in the security of our salvation, okay? Are you ready? Four of you. Fantastic. The second link in the unbreakable chain of our redemption is predestined. Predestined. Look back at the text. Look back at God's word with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what does the Greek verb translated here predestined mean? What does it mean? It's simple. It means to appoint or determine beforehand. That's all it means. It means to appoint or determine beforehand. So let's ask this question. What has God determined beforehand, before the foundation of the world, for all those that he foreknew? Well, the answer is in the text. That's why I'm asking the question. I want you to see the answers there in the text. What did he predetermine? That they, those he foreknew, would be fully conformed to the image or likeness of his son. That they would become like Jesus. That they eventually would be entirely sanctified. Sanctified. This transforming work of God, beloved, begins now. It begins here and now. For us, by the power and prompting of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we now strive to live in obedience to God's word. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, if you're a believer. Yes, if you're a believer. Yes. Because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you. He's not only empowered you, but he's moving you in that direction. We cooperate with that direction, but he's moving us in that way prompting us, urging us, and when necessary, even disciplining us, bringing us difficulty sometimes to get us moving in the right direction, okay? So, as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and our cooperating with Him, over time, you know what happens? We become more and more Christ-like in our character. Yes or no? Yes, that's what that's, for the Christian, that's what should be happening over time, over time. But, beloved, this transforming work will not be complete until our bodies that are corrupted by sin are made like the glorious body of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. So we are in process, but the ultimate outcome remains yet future, okay? Paul says this, listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, just as we 
speaking to Christians, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Anybody uh, want to take a shot at who he's talking about? If you read the entire chapter, you would already know, but I'm pulling it out here so we don't have time. Do you know what he's talking about? Adam, yes, that's right. We, every single one of us born to this world, come in bearing the image of the one who God made from the dust of the earth. Adam, right? And that's not, that's fine, but the problem with that is we inherited something from our dear father Adam. Do you remember what it is? Yeah, you guys are good. That's good. But that's bad. Uh, that's bad that we inherited, not you, that we inherited this sin, right? We're corrupt. We're messed up. But watch what he says. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Who do you think he's talking about? Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, the one who took on humanity, took on flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we bear the image of Adam, but we will completely bear the image of the man of heaven. Yeah, amen. And then he says here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says also in verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship, it's not here in this place, right? It's not here in the Americas. It's not here in this world. Our citizenship as believers in Jesus Christ is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, our Savior. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what he's going to do? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's That's our hope. That's our destiny. That's our destiny. Now look back at the text. It's going to get good. It's going to get good. Better. For those whom he foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. In order that he, who's the he? Christ. Yeah, the son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. All right, here we go. God has determined that those he foreknew should become just like his son. Why? So the answer is in the text. So that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, what does that mean? Glad you asked that question. Let's discuss the idea first. Let's discuss the idea of firstborn, of firstborn. In Jewish culture, as well as many others, the firstborn son had preeminence. Preeminence, big word. Supremacy. Supremacy over his brothers in the family. You with me? He was given unique privileges. He had an exalted position. The title firstborn was therefore a title of great honor. 
Great honor. So listen, this is important to understand. God wants his son to have preeminence in our salvation. In fact, it's because God wants his son to have preeminence in everything. In everything. If you, these are the first time you've heard these things. I hope they blow your mind right out of its shell because they are awesome. I mean, I don't mean that literally, obviously. I want you to keep your minds intact because then you can't think, but these things are incredible. Let me show you what Paul says in Colossians. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. He, he's speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Stop right there for a second. Jehovah Witnesses, they ever show up on your door, they'll use this verse because they believe that Jesus is a created being, a created being. They don't believe he's God. So they go to this text and they go, see, he's the firstborn of all creation. So he was the first one who was created. That's not what's going on there. That's not the idea here of firstborn. It's the idea of preeminence, of superiority. Well, how do I know that? Well, I just all I got, all I got to do is go to verse 16. Because there it says, For by him, Christ, all things were created. Hey, what are all things? They're all things. So how did uh, this one who was created create himself before he was created? Hello. Silliness. He is the firstborn of all creation. He stands superior over it. Why? Because he's the one who made it. So watch, watch. For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Did you think that all things were created for you? I think we think that sometimes. But they were created for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. Now he's talking about the church. Who's that? Us, beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is the head, the supreme one. Watch this. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What's that reference to? Resurrection. That in everything, he might be, what? Preeminent. The NIV translates it this way, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. In everything. Now hold that thought. Hold that thought. Just looking at firstborn. According to God's saving purpose, Jesus was to be the firstborn among many brothers. 
Those being the ones who would, according to God's plan, bear the image or likeness of who? God's Son, Christ, right? Jesus Christ. Commenting on this text, Charles Spurgeon, a famous 19th century Baptist preacher, if you can get a hold of anything that he ever wrote, read it. Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said concerning this text. God was so well pleased with his son and saw such beauties in him that he determined to multiply his image. You hear that? He determined to multiply his image. Now listen, Christian, do you want to know why God determined to save you? I know you're dying to know, and maybe you already have an answer for that, so I want to bring correction to it if it's not right. Here it is. This is why God saved you. He saved you in order to create a new and very special kind or race of humanity. That is human beings who have been made like God's Son, a holy and glorified, sinless humanity. And at the head of this humanity stands one who reigns supreme. He is the Son of God Jesus Christ. He is the one whose image or likeness that humanity will bear for all eternity. By God's plan, my friends, Jesus will forever be the exalted one. He will be the firstborn among many. And I love that word too many brethren. One writer says this, as you're thinking these things through and they begin to have an impact on you, one writer says this concerning this text. He, that is, that is God, he created us, listen, he created us so that there would be a group of people who would give him glory. Do you know that? That's why he created us, that there would be a group of people that would give him the glory that is due his name. And you know what? There was a rebellion. Do you remember that? Where do we learn about the rebellion that happened? Genesis, first book of the Bible. A wholesale rebellion began in the Garden of Eden. And God set out to redeem back humanity. And by his marvelous sovereign wisdom, he called for a salvation that could bring those who rebelled against him back to a place of giving him glory, who could bring them all the way to glory and create an eternally redeemed community who would be like Jesus Christ and yet over whom Jesus Christ would stand as the preeminent one and therefore be glorified and adored and worshipped and revered, and praised, and blessed forever and ever. 
and ever and ever. Now, you understand why you're saved? It isn't just, he goes on, to keep you out of hell. That's a, a nice byproduct. Oh yeah, that's, a, that's an understatement. That's a glorious byproduct. It isn't just to make you happy here and now. Stop right there. Don't read, don't read. How many people think that's what Christianity is about? Because that's what they hear from the pulpits that they're sitting under. That that's what Christianity is about? Making sure you're happy and everything goes well for you in the here and now? Beloved, that is a very small view of what's really going on and why God has done all that he has done to redeem you. Listen, you've been redeemed to be made like Christ so that you can be part of a redeemed eternal community who will give to the preeminent one glory to his name. It's not for us that we've been saved. It's for him. It's for him. So Christ is the central point of redemptive history, not you, not me. Huh? Let that sit a while. Let that sit. Christ, we were saved. Hey, listen, we gain all the benefits and glories of that. But ultimately, we were saved by God for his son, for his son. It's a difference, beloved, between man-centered thinking and preaching and God-centered, Christ-centered preaching and teaching. And sadly, too many churches across our great land are filled with pulpits, with mouths that spew out man-centered preaching. You can, you can identify them right away if you're thinking rightly. It's always about you. Listen, come to Jesus, man, and your life will be totally fixed. You'll have a big, nice car if you just believe by faith. All of your diseases will magically go away. God will fix everything in your life. Hey, you want success in your life? You want to get somewhere in life? You know what you need? You need some Jesus. That's what you need. Because Jesus, he'll come alongside you, and he comes alongside you just to make sure you're successful in life. I mean, that's what he really wants for you, your happiness. He's really, that's what he's really looking for. He wants you to just be happy and joyful all the time. People come in there, and they go, man, I'm so, oh, man, I feel so good. I feel so good. I feel so good. But... What about when we experience suffering? How are we, what are we supposed to do with that? I guess, what, did Jesus leave for a while? Or maybe I've been really bad or something. Maybe I need to get back on his good side. That's where that kind of thinking leads. But see, when I see the big picture now, I get it. I get it. Oh, God. Oh, God's doing something really big here. He's doing something really big. And, and he saved me. And he's going to use every circumstance in my life, even the really nasty stuff. He's going to use it all to ultimately conform me to the image of Jesus Christ so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is redeeming me. He is sanctifying me. He is moving me towards glory for one purpose, for the purpose of his son. Now, to me, that's a bigger purpose in life than any other purpose. God saved me for 
Christ. He saved me from Christ. I would be a, an instrument to glorify that one, to bless his holy name, to praise him, to make him known. Huh, beloved? Who are we making known? I hope so. But why? Because he's the preeminent one. You know, Paul said somewhere, he said, I don't, I'm not here to preach myself. I'm here to preach Christ. That's, that's it. It is all about him, not by accident, but by God's design. And my friends, even our salvation is all about him. People say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does. Child of God, he does. You are part of God's great plan to bring his beloved son great glory. Huh? But how many times have I heard that? God has a wonderful plan for your life, and people twist it to mean something entirely different. Oh, he's going to help me, you know, be successful in my business. I mean, he might, but that isn't the ultimate plan. Huh? Huh? Now go back to the text, and we'll look quickly at the last three links in the chain. Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and, and those whom he called, there's the last three called, he justified, and, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Called is the third link in the chain, and I spent some time going over what that means when we looked at, verse, uh, looked at it in verse 28, because the word showed up there. And again, if you were not here, I would strongly urge you to listen to that sermon. It was part two of a message I called, All Things Work Together for Good. Simple, simple. Uh, but let me, I'm not going to cover all that now. We can't, because again, I took, I think, most of a sermon to do it, because it's an important word, important for you to get. Called here could be defined, I'm just going to review, as God's, listen, God's effective summons by which people are brought into relationship with him. An effective summons by which people, sinners, are brought into a relationship with God. As you look at the New Testament epistles, called, or those who are called, is used as a designation, designation for Christians. For Christians. Why? Because all who receive this effective call of God, this divine summons, every single one of them, they respond to it by trusting in Christ. Which, by the way, is a fact that cannot be refuted. Why? Because verse 30 says, all whom God called, he also... Yeah, look back at the text. I just want to make sure you see it. I want to do it one more time. All that he called, he also... Right. Now, listen, you should know this by now if you've been with me through the book of Romans. Justification comes to those who have turned to and put their hope in Christ. That's who justification comes to. Those who have turned to and put their hope in Christ. Christians. And it is worth pointing out that this saving call of God, this is important, is not made without the preaching of the gospel. Okay? But rather, through the preaching and the invitation of the gospel message. That is why it is so important that we faithfully, when I say we, I mean me and you, the church, 
those who are redeemed, we faithfully preach the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, for through it, God is pleased to call sinners to himself and save them. Hello? It comes through the preaching. You know, it's like, bring, it's not like that. Bring, hello, this is God. I'm calling you to myself. Oh, that's great. Thank you, God. And I want to receive that call. Boom, you're justified. That's not how the call works. It's not some mystical thing. It comes through the preaching of God's word, specifically the good news concerning Jesus Christ and the salvation that is available in him and through him alone. And so the message must be proclaimed. We must speak it. People talk about, you know, living out the gospel you know, live out the gospel before your friends. We should do that, which means we should be people who, it is clear, have been redeemed by this one, and that has begun to change us so we're more loving, more merciful, more kind, right? All of those things. Live it out before them. But my friends, people don't come to Christ just because they see that you're kind. At some point, now listen, that can give you an end with them. It can allow, they might come to you and say, what's different? You're different. Let me tell you why I'm different. Now, that opened the door. But at some point, you have to share the gospel. You have to tell them about Jesus. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm kind because, you know, God's been working on me over a long haul. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. If that's the extent of the convert, I'm so glad you're a very nice person. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That won't get them to Christ. Listen, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, speaking to the Christians there, he says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because why? God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Watch verse 14. It was for this he called you through what? Our gospel. What do you think he's talking about there? They preached, they proclaimed, they, they made known the good news concerning Jesus Christ that through him sinners can be saved. They can escape the wrath of God that is to come. It is through Christ and Him alone they must place their faith in Him. So it was through the gospel that they were called. Why? That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. He calls so that He may ultimately glorify. Got to preach the gospel, my friends. We got to preach the gospel. Listen, you don't have to be a, a pastor to preach the gospel. If you're saved, if you are, then you had to have known enough to get saved. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Now I'm going to get real simple with you, right? Will you just tell somebody else what you know? There is more and more to your salvation. I get it. There's more glories, more wonders, more riches. We keep exploring them. They're wonderful. But if, you're, if you truly are saved, then you had to have heard enough of the gospel to know the truths, the facts concerning it, and then you embrace them, right? Just go tell somebody else what you heard. Because through those means, God calls sinners to himself. Now back to verse 30. 
All those whom he called, he also justified. And this is the fourth link in the chain. Now, Paul spent a great deal of time in the earlier chapters of Romans explaining what it means to be justified by God. And listen, we have previously gone over all of that in great detail, right? We've covered that. But let me summarize again for you. When the sinner is justified by God, it means that they are forgiven of all of their sin and guilt. Hello. Are you justified this morning? See, I can't just... I, I write this, and then I read this sermon probably 50 times, you know, just going through it, I rework it, I... But every time I come to things like that, I stop. I just stop. It, we are forgiven. The, the one who has been justified is forgiven, not of some of their sins. All their sin and guilt, past, present, and future. And not only that, my friends, they are imputed or credited with righteousness. <laughs> not their own. They don't have any. We don't have any sinners. Rather, they are credited with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, the justified sinner remains no longer under God's condemnation. They are forever, forever saved from the wrath of God. They are declared right with God for all time. That's what it means to be justified. And all that is made possible through the person and saving work of Jesus Christ, that is through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So listen, the one who has been called, the one who has been called is the one who by God's sovereign grace became aware of their sinfulness and guilt before God. See, that's one of the keys there, beloved. A lot of people know they're they're messed up. They know they're sinners. But I'm talking about something distinct now. They know of their guilt because of their sin before God. They are accountable to Him. They stand guilty before Him. So as this sovereign call comes upon them, they become aware of their sinfulness and guilt before God. They begin to truly understand their desperate need for a Savior, for Christ. And then, by faith alone, they embrace the Savior, Jesus Christ. They embrace Him as their Lord and Master. Finally, we have the fifth link in the unbreakable chain of redemption. The fifth link in the unbreakable chain of redemption. And those whom He justified, He what? He glorified. Now, glorify is just another way of saying that God's children will be completely conformed to the image of the resurrected Christ. Completely conformed to the image of the resurrected Christ. They will bear the image of the man in heaven. In heaven. Someone said, I like this. One writer said, you know, we talk about sanctification. We've been talking a lot about it in the past. And it comes up again and again. And it's that process that God's he started in us now, right? And he's working. He's changing us through the power of the Spirit. And One writer said this, sanctification is glory begun, glory begun, so it starts now, our glory is starting now in one sense, and glory then is sanctification consummated, consummated. 
It's brought to its completion. Glorified is the ultimate destiny for those God foreknew. Glorified. But why is the word glorified in the past tense as if it has already happened? I don't know if you noticed that, but they're all, all these verbs here in the past. So why this one? Because this is a future thing. Well, this is what some have said, and I think it makes sense. Paul can put it in the past tense, and he does, because from God's standpoint, from God's standpoint, since he decreed in eternity past that it should take place, place the issue has been settled. It is as good as done. It is as certain as if it has already taken place in the eyes of God. That's how certain it is. For new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. That's how God sees it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the bottom line. Our assurance of ultimate victory, of the consummation of our salvation, it rests not with us. That's good news. But with God, (laughs) but with God who has purpose before the world began to bring us to glory. (laughs) I can't believe he did it, but I'm so glad he did. And that is exactly what he will do, and nothing, and I mean nothing, will prevent him from accomplishing his purpose. You ever feel like things aren't moving fast enough in your Christian life? Like maybe, I don't know, man, I don't know. This thing's, maybe this thing doesn't work after all, I don't know. If you're truly a child of God, you can know. Don't fret, don't have any anxiety. God will get you there. Oh, one way or another, (laughs) one way or another, according to his plan, he's taking you there. He's taking you to glory. One writer says, you were saved unto glory and all things are... By the way, for our children, I was thinking about this. It came to my mind. We think about our children, our saved. I'm talking about our truly saved children because sometimes we get confused. We think they're saved and they're not. Right? Time kind of bears that out. But then we have children that we know they're believers. We know they're trusting in Jesus Christ. But they're kind of going, you know, like, what's going on? And we start to get freaked out. Hey, any parents out there can relate to that? If you have older kids with me, can you relate? You start to get freaked out, man. Go to this passage. Foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified. If it was up to you to get them there, You should be worried. Huh? Any perfect parents in here? Huh? Meet me after the service. Because I'm going to punish you for lying. No, I would never do that. At least not publicly. Um, One writer says, you were saved unto glory and all things are working toward that. God called you away from your sin. And lostness, the hound dog of heaven. He made you right with himself through Jesus Christ, and he set you to glory. Beloved, that is your security. Beloved, that is the unbreakable chain of redemption. 
And I'll say what I said last service. It is a chain forged together by the mighty power and sovereign purpose of God, and it is covered with his amazing grace. Covered from from every bit, from the beginning to the end. And may we be truly humbled. Humbled by it. You find any room for pride in this chain? I don't. If you do, you're crazy. You don't get it, you miss something. You miss something. There's no room for pride in that chain. There's no room for self-exaltation. There's no room for self-righteousness. There's only room for exalting Christ and praising God that he would save a sinner such as myself and set me to glory. May we be humbled by it. May we find security in it. And may we be motivated to live our lives for the one who mercifully chose us for this great salvation, a salvation that we certainly didn't deserve and could never achieve or obtain on our own, my friends. You can't get to glory on your own. It's impossible. It only comes through one means, and that is through faith in the Lord and Savior, the preeminent one, Jesus Christ. And may we never forget, we have been saved by God for the glory, for the glory of Christ. Our salvation is ultimately all about who? Him. Not us. Not us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Wow. I, the longer I spend in the faith, the more I fall in love with it just blown away by it, and the things that you have chosen to reveal to us are glorious things, wonderful things. Certainly, they are all profitable. I thank you for the hope of this passage. I thank you for the the hard truth, the good truth that's revealed in it, Lord. The wonderful news. These are all things that you do, God. May May we be humbled by that. Father, you, you purposed to save us. If we're here today and we're a child of God, if we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, then we can rest assured. You purposed to save us. The only reason we accepted Christ is because you made a decision for us. So, why wouldn't we then give our lives to you? we really understand our great salvation, there'd be no reason not to offer ourselves up to you completely. We wouldn't be even in this position if it were not for you, God. Father, we recognize sometimes, you know, we go through, man, we sing the song today, prone to wander, prone to wander. That's our messed up hearts, prone to wander. We get in those bad places sometimes. May we find hope and motivation to repent and press on because we know, we know we are on the road to glory because not only have you put us on that road, but you're driving us down it. You're taking us there. We don't have to be, 
We don't have to have anxiety or, or fear that somewhere along the way we'll fall off the truck. It's impossible. The chain is, is forged together by your mighty, powerful hand. You have a purpose, Lord, to save us. That's why you foreknew us that we might be glorified, that Christ might be the preeminent one, the firstborn among many brothers, as you fulfill your purpose in us to conform us to his likeness. Wow. Unbelievable. Father, thank you. Thank you for this great salvation. But Father, my heart is always burdened every Sunday throughout the week. I know there's, I believe that there are some here, certainly, who have not experienced Christ as their Lord and Savior. They haven't, they haven't put their faith in Him. They haven't just simply trusted in Him, in Him alone for their redemption. They come, they hear, they know things about Christ, but they don't have yet a relationship with Christ through saving faith. Father, man, we've said enough here for, for them to have heard the gospel to some degree here this morning. May, may you use what was said here this morning or maybe has already been said to them by a friend or a loved one or something that might be said to them after this service or in the weeks to come. May you use that, the gospel, to draw them to yourself. May they recognize their guilt and sin before you, that they are they are destined for the wrath that is to come unless they turn, they repent, and they put their faith in the one that you sent to die for sins, that they might be fully and completely redeemed. Might they recognize their need for the Savior that you so graciously gave. They might they turn to him even now, Lord, right now where they sit in their heart and mind. Might they turn to this one and say, God, I am guilty before you. I am convicted. I feel it. I know I'm worthy of your wrath. I have sinned in so many ways. I stopped counting. But Father, God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to bear my wrath as my substitute. The righteous son of God bore my wrath. I believe that, Father. I accept it through faith. And I believe your word that says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will put their faith and trust in Him, they will be saved at that moment, justified, declared right forever with You, Father, through faith in Your Son. Father, I hope... I hope someone did that right now and believed and trusted in Your Son. Father, if not now, I hope soon before they die and it's too late. I pray all these things in the preeminent one's name, Jesus Christ, amen.